Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. His dress, his diet, his demeanor, everything about this guy says, Lord, whatever you call me to do, don't call me to do that or be like him. And here's the wonderful news. John is not our role model for ministry. Jesus is our role model. And God isn't making us into people more like John the Baptist. He's making us into people more like Jesus. Today, Pastor Sam takes us into Matthew chapter 3 in a message entitled, The Baptism of Repentance. We see some important landmarks in this chapter as we are introduced to John the Baptist and we get to see John baptize Jesus Christ. Let's hear what the voice of one crying in the wilderness has to say to us. It's difficult for us to begin to imagine what it must have been like for them. It had been 400 years since there had been any public declaration from the Lord. Now, apart from all of that, yes, the angel had appeared to, um, you know, John and, and, and mentioned to, uh, or John's parents that he was coming. Uh, an angel had appeared to Mary and announced that Jesus would be birthed and born through her miraculously. But those were personal visitations, not public proclamations. 400 years had gone by since the close of what we commonly refer to as the Old Testament. But God wasn't really finished with the Old Testament, and here's why. John, we're told, this John, John the Baptist, was the last of the Old Testament prophets. The law and the prophets were unto John. And so, though there was this huge gap, we need to realize that John is actually the one God has chosen to bridge the Old and the New Testament. And he does it in a rather unique and wonderful and powerful way. Like many in the Old Testament, like Isaiah or Ezekiel or perhaps more like Elijah than anyone else, John stood out among the people. There are some things we're going to see that we really want to imitate and emulate as we consider John's ministry and John's life. His faithfulness to the Lord, his, his dedication, his uncompromised witness for the Lord. All that's good. But then there's some things about John that we may not necessarily want to imitate or emulate, and we'll look at those as well. The important thing to note here, though, is that John had been called by God in his generation to proclaim a message from the Lord, and that we absolutely have in common. We've been called and instructed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's our call. Not just the pastors, not just the evangelists, not just the elders or Sunday school teachers, but we're all called to preach, to herald the good news. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And I was thinking, even with a a relatively small group like this, how radically we would impact our community if every one of us shared that simple message. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. There's forgiveness in him. There's life in him. That's our call. That's our message. Now, John, his was 
relatively straightforward, and, and it was a bit shorter. Read with me those first few verses, and you'll see what I mean. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John comes with a word from the Lord. Everyone's excited to hear it. Multitudes come out to him. And one of the things that we definitely want to learn from John is no matter who we're faced with or addressing or talking to, we want to be faithful to share what the Lord has given us. Now, John's message was simple and straightforward. Repent. He preached it to the rabble. He preached it to the religious. He preached it to the, to the leaders of the community. In fact, he was so effective at preaching this message that, that eventually he is put to death by some who were offended by it. And so you want to know that if you're pleasing the Lord, if you're doing exactly what he's called you to do, well, it may not all turn out that great, you know, on the temporal plane. Lots of people have been faithful and ended up hurt, hurt, you know, hurt and wounded or even put to death as a result of their faithfulness. John would be such a man. So we find him, this prophet of God, this preacher of this repent message, uh, out in the wilderness, multitudes coming to him. Now, when I was a young believer, I knew the Lord had called me to minister. And so I started going to Bible college really early on. I didn't really know exactly what God wanted to do with me, but I knew he wanted me to be prepared for whatever he had in mind. And I'd encourage you that God wants you to be prepared and continually growing in him, closer to him, more knowledgeable of him, more available to him. Why? Because he's got something wonderful in mind for you. But but when I was a young believer and in Bible college, I remember having a conversation one day and a guy said, so you're going to be a preacher, huh? And I was like, man, I hope not. And uh, that's because in my mind, preachers were weird. And uh, John sort of confirms that, you know, you look at him, he's clothed in camels here, verse 4 says. He's got a leather belt around his waist. He's eating locust and wild honey. His dress, his diet, his demeanor, everything about this guy says, Lord, whatever you call me to do, don't call me to do that or be like him. And here's the wonderful news. John is not our role model for ministry. Jesus is our role model. And I love that. Why? Because Jesus was gregarious. He liked being around people. He liked good food. In fact, they, they accused him of being a wine-bibber and a glutton. Now, I'm certain he wasn't either. But that means that, you know, he was a person that liked to eat with others. He was hospitable. He was everything he teaches us to be. And God isn't making us into people more like John the Baptist. He's making us into people more like Jesus. I like that the common people heard Jesus gladly. I like that sinners felt comfortable in his presence, that little children ran up to him, not ran away from him. There are so many things about our Lord that make me say, make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. I want to be like Jesus. But I can still learn from John. 
And John, as I shared, was a man with a message and he was faithful to share it. Now, the word repent was a word they would have understood. It meant different things to different people. To an unbeliever, it meant, means to turn from your unbelief and become a believer. To someone who is a believer, it means to turn from anything and everything that hinders your intimate relationship with the Lord and your fruitfulness for the Lord. Turn from that and turn to Him. For those of us gathered together here today, certainly God could say to us, to me, to you, repent. There are things in our lives that God certainly wants to weed out of our lives. And even if he's been successful at doing that, there are still things that he'd like to be see happening in and through our lives that maybe we're not all that sensitive to or prepared for or ready for. And so, in any case, this word will always speak to every generation. And here's one reason I know this. It wasn't just... John the Baptist message. No, Jesus, when he goes from this experience of his baptism, which we'll consider at the latter part of the chapter, into his temptation next time, immediately after that, Jesus comes out preaching what? Repent. That was his message too. When Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, the word was repent. When Paul went around establishing churches, the word was repent. When Jesus addresses the seven churches and the seven letters in Revelation, five of them get the word, repent. So it, it was a word that permeated that generation and it needs to permeate us. I remember years ago someone saying, and I don't remember who now, that repent is a missing word in the gospel today. We want to make sure that it's not missing in our vocabulary as we share the love of God and the plan of God. It's really there in the gospel. Christ died for our sins, you see. Until people realize they're sinners, they don't really see the good news in the good news. If you feel like you're good enough for God, well, what's this Christ died for my sins business? But when you realize no one is good enough for God, that all of us have strayed away or gone astray, well, then the word repent has significance. And the idea that Jesus died for my sins, for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, man, that becomes significant. It has meaning. It tells me I can be forgiven. I can be restored. I, I can have the life God's intended. Well, John then was a preacher, and, and he, if you remember the movie Pollyanna, now some of you maybe never saw it. If you didn't, I can highly recommend it. But, but in that movie, and you might have to borrow a kid so people don't think you're weird watching a kid's movie, but in that movie, there's, there's this preacher, and he's just sort of an uptight character, and he's getting his clues and, and his messages all from the wrong space. He's not sitting before the Lord. He's being told by people what to preach. That never has happened here. I've had some people make some suggestions, and but pretty much teaching through the Word, you're going to get whatever's in the chapter, and I guarantee you that's best for you and best for me. But anyway, this guy, he's just got this sort of naggy gal who for some reason's got something over him and she's got him giving messages that she wants the town to hear. And, and he's like one of these just, you know, eyes popping and veins, you know, sticking out kind of guy. And he's like, death comes unexpectedly. And, and it's just this fascinating, you know, character study and bad preaching. But 
But but the bottom line is we do need to know that death comes unexpectedly. We need to know that we need to repent. But I don't think we need somebody with their eyes popping and their veins throbbing to tell us. Personally, I don't really like to be yelled at. I love Calvary Costa Mesa, my home church, and my pastor, Chuck Smith, because he, he just taught us God's word. He didn't try to manipulate us. He didn't have an agenda personally for us. He just wanted to connect us with the Lord. And he taught me, as he taught so many of us who went out and pioneered churches, that it was really my relationship with Jesus that mattered most, not my relationship with him or my connectedness to him. And I want to declare that's reality for each and every one of us. If you want to see some radical and wonderful things happen, if your experience spiritually is a little dry or a little dull, or, you know, maybe it's just not what it used to be or what you believe it could be. Man, just draw near to Jesus and say, Lord, I just want to walk closer to you, be more sensitive to your voice, more more willing and ready to respond. Well, that was John. He, he comes to the wilderness preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now to the poor, the kingdom promised that, that they would be cared for. For, for the, the, the ill, it, it promised health. For the demon-possessed, it promised freedom. But there were a lot of people in Jesus' day that when they heard about the kingdom, they thought politically. There are still people like that today. I mean, if you're poor and, and you read, hey, Jesus is coming back, you know that, that in the kingdom of God, in the coming kingdom, Man, there's going to be no suffering, no sorrow, no hunger, no death, no pain. All those things will have passed away. We're going to live in a wonderful, perfect uh, world with Jesus when he establishes his kingdom. But these guys never saw a distinction between the first and second coming. They didn't get that he was coming to suffer and die the first time and then rule and reign the second time. So they were looking for him to crush the Roman rule, establish the kingdom of God, right every wrong, elevate them to positions of importance. That's why the disciples were always arguing who would be greatest or trying to figure out who'd sit at his right hand and left in the kingdom. They thought it was all going to happen then. But, but what he's talking about is a kingdom that first comes invisibly, and then bears fruit that's recognizable to others, and then ultimately comes visibly and physically and tangibly. You see, Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he said all the other issues of life, those things we need, those things we're concerned about, they'll be added to us. He says just get things right. Seek him first. His kingdom, his righteousness, and if you're not familiar with that word, it just means his rightness, being right with God and then being right with others. And he says every other need will be met. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that does have a a, a, a bit of a, a meaning where it talks about, Lord, come and establish your kingdom. But for right now and for today, when we pray, your kingdom come, we're really saying, Lord, take control of me. Be king over me. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what goes on in heaven? 
I'll tell you, because we've been studying Revelation on Wednesday nights. If you haven't been there, it's a whole lot of worship. And so we encourage serious worship, contemplation of the Lord and, and just pouring our hearts out to the Lord. Why? That's what we're going to be doing when the kingdom's established. It won't be the only thing we do, but it will be primary. We'll be worshiping him. And so in any case, some of them were looking for an end to their suffering, their poverty, their sickness, their their oppression or possession. And, and Jesus, as we go through this gospel, is going to deal with all of those issues. But that's not the primary thing he was about. He, he taught them to pray for the coming of the kingdom where he would rule and reign in their hearts, but that his will would be done over the whole earth as it is in heaven. That's going to happen, see. Someday and, and, and in some, some point, he's going to call us home. The whole thing is going to go down as we read in Revelation. And then his kingdom will be established on this earth. Thousand year millennial reign. Well, in any case, repent, John says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, one last thing as it relates to repentance and we'll move on in the text. John, understood this word, and, and as I've already shared, it meant different things to different people, but you need to know there's an element that sort of bridges each and every person to God when we talk about repentance. Luke 15, there are three short parables, each of those meant to really explain and illustrate what repentance is all about. And it's a little bit different than we might imagine. The first parable is that, that of a, a lost sheep, and then there's one of a lost coin, and then there's one of a lost son. And it's kind of interesting because in those first two, the, the parable is really about sort of a search and rescue thing, you see. There's a lost sheep, but, but the sheep isn't really able to find its way back, so someone goes after the sheep, and there's a lost coin, and the coin's not going to find itself, and or, you know, say, hey, here I am, and so someone looks for the coin. In the third parable, though, there's there's actually a picture of repentance. And here's why I share this with you. In the first two, after Jesus talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin, he says there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. He says this is, this is really about repentance. And here's the wonderful picture. God's all about search and rescue. He doesn't just leave you to your own, you know, figure it out. Where am I? What do I need to do? No, he comes after you and he reveals his plan for you and your need for him and his forgiveness. And as his people, then we need to be into search and rescue. If you're lost, you need to recognize it today and you need to repent. What does it mean to repent if I'm lost? It means that I realize I'm a, I'm a sinner. Maybe you don't consider yourself a sinner. Let me assure you, you are. If you're not sure, ask anyone around you, anyone who knows you. They'll tell you you are. Now, they may not nerd, use the terminology. In our, in our generation, we have a lot of euphemisms, you know. But, but the bottom line is God calls all that stuff sin. And when you realize you are a sinner, the one sin he wants you to deal with initially is unbelief. If you thought you're good enough for God or, you know, many roads lead to God or, 
No, they don't. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one is good enough for God. All we like sheep have gone astray. And so if you're an unbeliever, you're lost. You're separated from God. And the good news is the very fact that you're here says God's been after you, that he's been pursuing you, and he's been on a search and rescue mission. And uh, you're the object of that search and rescue. Once you become a believer, though, he really wants to engage you in the work. And he wants us to be about his work. Search and rescue, that's what it is. We go into the world, we preach the good news, and we try to restore people to him, reconcile people to him, rescue people for him. That's the work. But there was a third group. They weren't really recognizing that they were lost. They weren't really into search and rescue. They were religious and they were indifferent to the needs of people around them. In fact, if you look at those parables, and I highly recommend it, not now, later on, Luke 15, you'll see they were really given in response to the fact that some of the religious leaders were upset about the fact that Jesus was spending time eating with and hanging out with sinners. And not just regular sinners, bad sinners, notorious sinners, nefarious sinners. And they couldn't really understand it. So he gives a little parable. He goes, I'm on a search and rescue mission. I'm after these guys. I love them. I came for them. But but in that third parable, there's there's a picture of repentance. See, in the first time, too, the word is used. In the third one, that never really says mentions repentance because repentance is in the story. That prodigal son, after he leaves and he goes and he wastes his, his inheritance and he first comes to his senses. That's stage one of repentance. You realize that, man, I've really messed it up. And, and this is why... It's possible for any and all of us to need to repent. Because if you come to your senses and you realize, you know, I have really alienated myself from God. Yeah, I'm a believer in Him. Yeah, I've given my life to Him. I prayed that prayer. I've grown somewhat. But, but when you realize sin separates you, alienates you, well, that's something to repent of. And so what happens is, is He comes to His senses, step one, and then He says, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to go home and I'm going to just ask dad to make me like one of his hired servants, you see. And there are many people who've taken step one, realized that the life they're living, the place they're at is self-destructive and harmful to others and not the will of God for them. And so they've said, this is not good. And then they said, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to go back to the father. I'm going to reconcile with the Father. I'm just going to say, forgive me and, and let me serve you. And uh, a lot of people think because they've done that, they've repented. They've changed their mind. They've purposed to get it right. Maybe even started coming to church again, you know, singing the songs, doing the studies, supporting the work. You can do all that and still not have repented. Why? Because it isn't coming back to church. It's coming back to Jesus. It isn't just singing songs and having Bible studies. It's it's worshiping him and yielding your life to him. And that we get in that story. See, the son didn't just know he was off and decide to get it right. He went home. And here's the great part. Father doesn't say, okay, we'll go for that servant thing. That's what I probably would do or what you might do. Yeah, you're right. You blew it. There's no way you're getting the whole thing again. No, he runs out. The only time you ever see... A portrait of God running or in a hurry in Scripture 
Because that father represents our Lord to us. And man, he's in a hurry to, to put his arms around his son who's been, he says, dead to him and lost to him, but now reconciled, now alive. That's the heart of God. And, and that's the picture that God gives us of repentance. Well, hopefully that makes sense to you. And, and it brings us then to verse 5, the response of the people. We're told Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This was the baptism of repentance. If your words or actions have ever hurt another person and damaged your relationship with them, you'll be able to understand what a gift repentance is. Now you can ask them for one more chance, but never be sure that you'll ever get that chance but not with God. When we confess and repent of our wrongdoing, he is always faithful to forgive us. Join us next time as we wrap up the baptism of repentance. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.